Welcome to the GMS Podcast, brought to you by GMS Distribution. GMS specializes in temporary portable power distribution equipment for the restoration contractor. I am your host and owner of GMS, Jared Steer, and today I will be talking to my friends. Yeah, there we go. So we are recording, and my friend today is Ben Justinson out of Moses Lake, Washington at JRCC Restoration. How's it going, Ben? Good. Hey, I have to tell you, the music that you had on there? Yeah. I almost yelled out Mortal Kombat. You remember Mortal that? Com- well, I remember Mortal Kombat. I don't remember my music sounding like Mortal Kombat. No, it, it's a little bit different, but I was like, I almost yelled out Mortal Kombat because it kind of f- reminded me of that. Mortal Kombat. That's, uh, now, I'm, now I'm going to, I have to go listen to Mortal Kombat music and now compare it to my music, but I'm okay with it sounding like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I'm good with that. It was awesome. I, I was getting pumped up. Oh, see, did you play a lot of Mortal Kombat? Well, how, how old are you? And oh. I'll start. I'm 39. So I'm 41, so we're pretty much same age. So we grew up on Mortal Kombat. Yeah. No, I went down to the arcades here in town and uh, actually at the pizza place, Godfather's Pizza, and they had Mortal Kombat there. One of the arcade games? Yeah, and we had no idea what we were doing. We just knew if you pushed a bunch of buttons at the same time, you'd you'd do all sorts of crazy stuff, right? Stuff happened. You killed people. Yeah, it's usually, it was like a two-player game for us. Like, you do the joystick, you do the buttons, and... Away we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, well, uh, switching off of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> so you are, you're the owner at JRCC Restoration. Um, and I'll let you go ahead and do a little kind of a, a back row or an intro on you and what you're doing. Um, but I'm excited to have you on because you're involved in so many different parts of the industry. And not only just in your community, but you're doing things across the country and, and talking with a lot of people, and we're going to get into a lot of that. But, uh, but yeah, Great. no, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Excited. Yeah, no, when, uh, when you called me up and said, hey, I think we should do a podcast, I was pretty excited for you to come out here, especially since you moved out here to Washington. Yes, yeah, and this, is, and this is one of the few recently that I've been able to do face-to-face. So many of them are over the phone because of the coronavirus. Right. Um, but, yeah, we're actually at your facility and together – yeah, and we'll just, we'll just tell everybody that we're six feet apart right now. We're, we're close. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyway, background on you and kind of what you're, what you're doing. Yeah, so JRCC started almost uh, 40 years ago. My dad started it up. Actually, it was, it was just right uh, carpet care okay. back in the day. So we've, we've retained the same acronym so now it's just right cleaning and construction. So okay. we definitely evolved over time. Uh, so we had the equipment and everything. And you'll, you'll talk to a lot of people in this industry. They came from the carpet cleaning side into this. It's and so, a pretty natural transition, yeah. Yeah, you got all the equipment to suck up the water. And uh, back in the day, the agents were the ones usually taking care of those projects uh, up to like $10,000. You know, maybe it was 5000 but maybe up to $10,000. And they would just write the check from their office. And you go out, you get the work done. And, you know, back then it wasn't five, ten thousand $10,000, probably just 1000 to $2,000. And they would always ask, though, do you know somebody that can put the carpet back in or put the trim back in and paint it? And, uh, or maybe it was the cabinets that were damaged. And so my dad saw a lot of things that were uh basically being left on the table or he was given a lot of work away. And so uh, he eventually got into that side of things, uh, did his first big uh, fire damage cleaning and started doing the construction side. And anyways, uh, I, I worked for him, you know, since I was really little, Uh, just tagged along pulling hoses you okay. know, doing the carpet cleaning thing. As soon as I was old enough to drive, I was doing carpet cleaning. Uh, and, and that's really when he was evolving into the restoration side. So I, I grew into that, um, doing a lot of janitorial cleaning, uh, and then even learning the painting and some trim and some framing as, as I went. Um, and then... So you're just really involved in that whole growing process just from a young age. Oh, yeah. Just... I was learning it. 
and and maybe my dad will listen to this. He always gets a kick out of it because I tell him, yeah, I was a slave labor back in the day, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, me and actually my brother, uh, he's just two years younger than me. We, we both kind of grew up that way uh, doing this. My other siblings were a little bit younger. They, they all had their turn in the business, but because him and I were so close in age, we usually did a lot of projects together. Okay. Yeah. Um, then we, you know, I went away for a while. I did a church mission. I, uh, worked at some different places. I went to Eastern Washington university for a little bit. I didn't graduate. I, school just wasn't the thing for me. Okay. Uh, I actually got married to my wife, Shannon, and then we moved back here to Moses Lake and my dad asked me to get back into the, into the business. He was losing an estimator and actually had paid for a class down there at Exactware, uh, to get, to get the training. And I was like, yeah, I think I'd like to be an estimator. And so that was, you know, getting back into the business. That was the first thing I did. I went to a week of training at exact where three days or whatever it was. Okay. And now was that a side of the business? Like as you came up, you hadn't done the estimating side yet? No, I had not. Uh, okay. So this was new for you. Yeah. I'd, I'd helped a little bit just telling them what needed to go into the estimate because I was the guy on the job, but never, never dabbling really in the exact made. In fact, uh, at, at that time that I was helping with anything with the estimating, it was, uh, I think it was blue book. It, it was a whole different system, right? Okay. We actually had a physical book that we looked through to, to get our pricing. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, it was really interesting. And then I, so I got, back in the business as an estimator. And I, you know, it's funny because I remember back then, anybody that's listening, uh, I think they'll find this interesting. Back then, I made one estimate for the entire job, the mitigation, the repairs. There was, there was no separation. It was all one estimate. It all had overhead and profit on that. Okay. And a lot of people today, they're like, well, we don't get overhead and profit on mitigation. There's a big argument about overhead and profit and, and all that. So and are they now, they're now separate? Yeah, the insurance carriers. Are separate? They started asking us, and this was probably uh, early 2000s. Okay. The adjuster started asking us to uh, separate the mitigation from the repairs. And you can keep overhead and profit on the repairs, but not on the mitigation side because that's, you know, you're making so much money on that anyway. And so I, I just remember everybody talking about how much money they made on the mitigation. And, and that's actually something, you know, we're going to go into that maybe later on, but I teach classes now that help restorers understand that you're not really making that much on the mitigation side. And, and, uh, you know, showing them the difference between gross profit and net profit. But anyway, so, yeah, I was an estimator. I really enjoyed it. I was able to sit at a computer, do some things. I was able to go out and talk to customers, deal with adjusters. So it, it was kind of being a utility player and, and starting to project manage some jobs, too, on the construction side. So it, w it was a lot of fun. Okay. And then from... So then from there, I guess to today, you guys have three locations. Kind of so, so you, when do you, or how do we go from estimator to now you, you are running the show in three locations and, and, and doing very well? Yeah. We, uh, so my dad and I were so alike, right? Well, with that, we butted heads. Right. Yep. <laughs> and we were talking about this a little bit earlier. Uh, so, there were there were times that you know it, it just wasn't healthy like there's good healthy conflict but sometimes it wasn't healthy and uh finally it just got to the point where it's like dad I I'd like to take over uh let's let's get this done and so that's what happened it was about uh 11 years ago now that I took over the business and uh we were doing about oh 1.2 million something like that and with one location. Yeah, with one location. Okay. We were trying to get into the Spokane market. That didn't work out so well for us. Uh, but since then, we, we branched out to Wenatchee. We did that about uh, 
seven years ago. And how far away is Wenatchee from here? Wenatchee's about an hour and a half, approximately. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, we were doing pretty well there. And so uh, then we actually branched out to Ellensburg because we had a guy from Ellensburg that was working for us. And so we we promoted him to be a project manager, and then he moved back to Ellensburg. And so we said, well, let's just open up an office in Ellensburg. And uh, that's about an hour west from us. Okay. And it's a smaller town, but we felt like, you know, we could branch into Yakima from there. And so uh, Yakima is definitely a lot larger population base to, to grow your business, but we just thought, you know, we could we could uh, just get our dig ourselves in, kind of get bit. set up. Yeah, yeah. So that happened here a few years ago. We just uh, moved our office from Ellensburg to Yakima about a year ago, and uh, so that strategy worked. Yeah, it it worked really well. So uh, the the guy that was our project manager, he actually went to go work for uh, American Family about a year and a half, two years ago. And so as an adjuster, so we were able to work with him the last couple of years as an adjuster, and it was a really good relationship. In fact, he's doing really well because of the, a lot of the things that he learned with our company. Very so, cool. Uh, but then, yeah, we decided to move it to Yakima because there was just so much more work there. And so we, we had quite a few jobs and driving half an hour to get to, you know, three quarters of the jobs that we had was kind of silly so we sure set up shop there in Yakima and we still service the Ellensburg market but uh it's it's a much smaller market than Yakima is okay well that's so that's very cool so you guys have been able to expand outside of Moses Lake um what we said an hour and a half to what was the I'm sorry the name of uh uh Wenatchee Wenatchee yep gorgeous area I'm having a hard time with a lot of the names. So I, I just moved up here. I think a lot of people know. I just moved to <laughs> Seattle. But some of the names that are in the Washington area, I am, I'm having a hard time with. Yep. They're uh, some Native American names. and Yeah. Uh, oh. You I know, like it. I just can't pronounce any of them. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we'll, you know, we're, on, we're on a couple of programs, and so you'll get people from, that are not from this area. And <laughs> Try to pronounce it. it. Yeah, and and uh, and we also have an answering service for after hours, and uh, you know when they're talking to us, uh, a, a lot of times we hear, "Yeah, uh, we got a job for you in Winnetachi," and it's like, "You mean Wenatchee? Oh, oh yeah." And then uh, for Yakima, they they usually say Yakima, and so you know you politely correct them, and but yeah, we get it all the time. I mean, even my name. It's not Native American, but Justison, and nobody can spell it. Nobody knows how to say it when they first see it. So I just know that I just need to spell it anytime well, somebody I, says, "What's your last name?" Well, I say yeah with my name, Jarrett, but then spell with a G. Yeah, and it looks like Garrett on paper, yep. but then it's pronounced Jarrett because yep. my mom wanted wanted me to have a unique name. <laughs> Thanks, mom. Uh, me and her, we've already had this conversation plenty of times. And actually, actually a funny story. I don't think I've told it on the podcast. Um, I had a, uh, a minor hernia surgery. Okay. And my, so it was just, it was just a quick outpatient, but my mom was my driver for the, for this, for this surgery. Okay. And, uh, so we go in and we go right to, right to the, the first lady. She pronounces it Garrett. And my mom's like, it's, it's Jarrett. <laughs> and she's like, oh, cause I don't, I gave up. I don't even pronounce, I, I don't, I don't correct anyone anymore. Right. Right. I gave up a long time ago. Um, so she says Garrett, uh, my mom corrects her. The lady comes out to, you know, to take us into the back. Garrett, Garrett Steyer, I think mom's like, uh, it's Jarrett Steer. And so she corrects <laughs> her again. The doctor comes in, calls me Garrett. And then my mom's like, can you believe all of these people mispronouncing your name? I go, mom, this is every single day for me. Like this yeah. is just one, yeah. you're looking at one day of my whole life. This is, this is how it is. And she was, but it was, I just remember her being so frustrated and irritated. <laughs> and I'm like, you're here one day. This is my life. So kind of funny. But yeah, so the mispronouncing names. You know what that's like. Well, and I think social media, social media doesn't help because everyone knows you by what they think your name, how your name yeah. is pronounced. And my name looks like Garrett. So I get right. so many people, even people on the podcast that 
that call me Garrett that kind of know me from social media right. or, or how we start out. So yeah, the oh, name yeah. thing. Yeah. No, you. I I forget the comedians, but I, I I'm pretty familiar with a skit that A uh, A Ron right. that's kind of like that for you yeah right so now so this is what you're doing locally or you know in in your service area yeah but you're also teaching classes that you travel all over like you'll how far do you go for a class anywhere right I mean if somebody wants you for a class you go before the COVID-19 I was gonna go to Hawaii I'd not been to Hawaii yet ever and I thought, so, well, and I just moved up here. I thought everyone in Washington has been to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's they just, have. It's just no, me it's and just you. it's just me. Well, now yeah. me. Now I you. Been there either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when I have my class there, it's going to happen. You're you're going to come with me, okay? I think so. I think we yeah. should just plan it to both of us go there at the same time. And so my wife, you know, she she likes that I'm able to do what I enjoy and go around and do the teaching, and but you know, it wears on her a little bit. Right? I mean... Well, I, you have a house full of kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but when I was talking to this guy about going to Hawaii to possibly do a class, she was all over that. She was like, oh, yeah, when is that? Because she, <laughs> she hardly ever comes with me to do a class, right? She, but this one, she's... This, one, we're this going, is the one she's been saving up and for. And we're going to be there, like, the whole week. What, how, how, how long is the class? Oh, that's two days. Okay, yeah, I think we can. I think we can fit a week in there. <laughs> <laughs> we should go down early, get familiar with the area, and then recoup after the class before we take the trip home. Yep, I I understand completely. Yeah, I get it. So yeah, I've been I've been all over the country. Um, the farthest, obviously, uh, to date's been down in Florida, which is which was really nice. I I had a buddy that has a place down there, and uh, I said, hey, why don't you come to the class and he's from uh he's actually from uh oh shoot up in wisconsin and so but okay. he's got a house down there and uh tom's his name actually and great guy anyways i said well you just come to the class for free if you're letting me stay at your house golly sakes that's that's amazing and it it had a pool behind the house and yeah. everything. i'm like oh this is amazing this is some of the setups in florida are really nice yeah so that that had to be one of the neatest class to go to just because i got to stay at this place <laughs> for for free basically and it was it was just paradise you know every night being able to soak in the pool so yeah now what so i don't think we've touched on what is the class what class are you teaching yeah so uh, the main class that I teach is an advanced estimating and pricing class. So I'm an Xactimate certified trainer. And so okay. uh, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, trying to figure out every little in and out of Xactimate. And I just saw, I actually became a certified trainer more for marketing. I, I wanted to, I wanted to bring up a, uh, an Xactimate trainer from Xactware to train adjusters as a marketing tool, right? Okay. And so I asked him, well, how much does that cost? And it was like, I can't remember, $5,000 or $5,000 a day. or it was, it was something pretty expensive, right? And I'm like, oh, man, $5,000 a pop for every time I do this. That I wasn't really expecting that. So, well, how much does it cost to become a trainer? <laughs> so I started going That's down how, that road. Okay. And anyways, um, so it is it is a little more expensive to become a trainer. But uh, what's funny is I became a trainer. I started doing classes uh, for adjusters, and I I was basically doing it for free. Uh, you know, they were just paying for some class materials. That was it. Okay. But most adjusters would not come to the class. Not because they didn't want to. They they really wanted to. But like their supervisor didn't want them to. Um, you're going to go to a contractor to learn Xactimate? No, I don't want that. Is there a conflict of interest? Is that what? Well. Is that how they were looking uh, at it? I think so. They they just didn't want me to taint them with any any knowledge that I might have. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. And, and they probably saw it as a marketing thing. And it, and it was, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, 
help them have a relationship with me so they feel comfortable using me. Okay. Um, but I, I saw a huge disconnect with the way to use Xactimate and what they were doing. Most of these adjusters have no formal training. Okay. So they're utilizing this program the way that the carrier tells them to, but they don't know that you're able to edit, manipulate, and change every component within the system. It's set up that way so that a contractor can make pricing or whatever specific to that job, not just and in, in specific to their company, but every job could be different. Like I've got jobs that are five minutes away from my office. So maybe the exact mate pricing is fine. But then I've got jobs that are an hour, two hours away from the office. Right. Well, why would I use the same price for those jobs as the one that's five minutes away? So I, I should be able to change it, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it's just like if you were going to sell one of your GMS units, if you're not going to have the same shipping to the next town over as it is halfway across the country, right? right. It, it just doesn't make sense. It costs more because you got to pay the driver or whoever to go out longer. You know, exactly. Yeah, that's an it. Easy makes use. sense. Yep. Uh, so I was getting some independence to the class, but the other reason they would tell me is their supervisor wouldn't even give them the time. Like, they're so busy. Oh, okay. They couldn't get time so, off to even come. So what I started doing is I, I was actually doing uh, like an hour or two sessions, just webinar-type sessions for these adjusters. And that, that took off a little bit. I actually had uh, adjusters that really liked that, um, and I would go over any topic that they wanted to, and so they really so, no, enjoyed is this, that. Is this still just in your local market? You're not trying to no, go that outside? Was, yeah, that was just in my local market. But even, even that kind of died off. But uh, since I became a certified trainer, man, there was all sorts of contractors that started asking me about, hey, can you come and do this training for me? And then... I've been doing pricing feedback for the last like 13 years. And so I, I, I really got things dialed in and figured out here about four years ago. Okay. And I was able to affect some changes in my local market. I mean, we're talking about like the carpenter was at $50 an hour here in this, in this market. And in the last three years, we've been able to get that up to $80 an hour in the Xactimate price list. Okay, so you affected a change inside Xactimate's pricing in this local area. Correct. Okay. Because I was able to give the, the pricing feedback. So I, I looked at uh, where it puts out this thing every year, the annual uh, property report. And I was reading in there, I was actually getting kind of frustrated because the old feedback that I was doing, it just wasn't working anymore. Well, after reading this annual report, I found out that 90% of the estimates that they're getting feedback from are going through these programs, right? They're, they're coming from carriers and independent adjusters. And I'm sure a lot of the estimates from, from contractors are going through these programs and it probably looks like the carrier, the independent adjuster. And only 5% was coming from structural contractors and 5% from, like, mitigation contractors. And, and I'm paraphrasing okay. it, but it's right around that, that uh, amount. Sure. And so I thought this, this, this is a very small number. Yeah, very so small. now it's a, it's a regurgitation of price, right? So they're pumping out a price to us, and they want feedback. But if the rules say on the programs... Because if you ask most contractors, hey, do you, do you send any of your estimates to exact analysis? Well, hardly anybody does unless they're on a program. And if you're on a program, there's a rule you don't get to change the price. So the only estimates coming back to them are the, are the same price. Okay. And so I, I saw this and I'm like, I got, I got to break this. So I need to start making my own price, using that in my estimates, and send that off for feedback. And so that's what I started doing. And I really started seeing the ball move at that point. And so after I had gotten that figured out, I was so like... Is, so is like the pricing adjustment kind of the way that they have it set up for you to give feedback. It, it does work, but you, you have to do... Let me see. I mean, I'm trying to think how I want to say this. So I, so I ask her, okay, so the feedback that they're, that they're asking for, that they're allowing... 
if you if you run it through the program work, then it's the it's the same price. So you as an independent have to submit separately or submit again on your your pricing. Is yeah, that- well, not all my jobs are are through programs, and most contractors, not all of them are through programs. So when they're not through programs, that's when you're sub- you're submitting. Correct, and then and you are seeing a change when you're doing that. Right. Okay. Um, now it's very gradual. Now we were talking earlier about how in this in this market where one of my offices is, I'm I'm a pretty decent sized player in that market, so I can probably affect change a little bit easier than. Uh, you know, let's say one player in the Dallas market or the Phoenix market or Seattle market. So it may not work as well there because they're fighting against, you know, so many other estimates that are going through the program. So it'd be like proportional. Yeah. You're talking like proportionality. If you look at all of this, all of the estimates, you're submitting a large number of them. Where if you're in a larger market with more players, your numbers are going to be, you're going to be down. So you need everybody doing it. You need everybody doing it. Uh, so this is one of the issues that we've been having discussions with Xactimate about through the RAA, but I, I'm also uh, trying to help people understand in my class uh, that's just one way of doing feedback the way I teach in the class. The other way, it's very simple. If you know your labor rates, which labor is probably the biggest thing that we can affect change on because I don't, I don't make the prices up for materials. The supply store does, right? Right. I don't make the prices up for a lot of the equipment. That would be the rental store. Uh, prices for stuff like um, uh, mitigation equipment, sure, I, I can uh, determine what those prices are. But So labor is the big thing. I determine the labor because that, that's my resource, right? My people that, that I'm right. charging for. So I determine the pay scale for them, the benefits for them. And the margin that I need on them based on the overhead and the net profit of my company. And each company is going to be different. Right. And so I thought, well, I need to come up with a calculator that helps us understand what that labor rate should be or calculate that labor rate for each trade. So I, I developed a calculator for labor rates. Okay. And so between... Uh, Quite honestly, three quarters of my class is actually just scope and, and how to do a better estimate. But most of the people come to my class for like the, the two hours that I do on pricing because they're really interested in that. And so I go through how to utilize the calculator, how to make their own price list. And essentially, it, it helps them make, you know, anywhere from uh, 5% to 20% more in some cases um, now the scoping does the same thing. Uh, th- you know, at first they're not as excited about that, the, but but then they see it and it's like you can actually make quite a bit more. You're actually leaving a lot on your on the table that you're missing, and and I'm not talking about fluff. I, I yeah absolutely against putting any fluff in your estimate. These are legitimate things that should be in the estimate that people are missing. What's happened is. We're utilizing a software that's making us lazy or ignorant in our knowledge. You've got estimators out there that have no clue on construction, yet they're getting sent out to do the estimate, and they're, they might be good at using a, a software program, and that's why they're an estimator. And so they, they think they're God's gift to Xactimate, and then they come to the class, and they're like, holy moly, I'm missing a ton and they realize this because we go over real estimates. So at the beginning of the class, I say, I need volunteers. And I usually pick like three, four estimates. And we do a smaller or medium-sized estimate, about 10, 15,000. Okay. Uh, a larger estimate, about 50K to 60K. I don't want to make it too big. Otherwise, it takes too long to go through. Okay. And then a mitigation estimate, just an average size mitigation estimate, four to 10,000, something like that. And on each one of those... Just some good examples. Yeah. And, and as a group, we go through these. I teach them how to do a review process of the estimate. I teach them how to look at the components report to, to figure things out. And I just taught a class Thursday and Friday. On each one of those estimates, we were able to increase them by like 15 to 25% just on things they were missing. 
I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a lot. That is so that's a much. Lot. I mean, you've got these companies. We were going over their net profit percentages, and some of them were like five percent, maybe up to fifteen percent. But I mean, five to ten percent—that's not a lot of money that they're making, and they when still have to pay trucks and all that kind of stuff after that. Well, if you can increase, so if you can increase an estimate by twenty percent, I mean, you're essentially increasing. I mean, that's that's twenty. That's profit dollars that are being missed because your overhead's already being paid out of that job. So anything that was missed is now 100% profit. profit dollars. Correct. So that's, that's, I mean, when you look at it that way, it's not even 20% now. Now it's a much bigger number. Yeah. And, and what we did with it in our company, JRCC, is between the, the changes that we've made in our own price list and the way that we scope things, it has allowed us to grow the business increase the pay scales, increase the benefits, uh, just make it an environment and culture that people want to work at. So, yeah, uh, and, that's, and that's really why JRCC exists is because we care about the individuals that work here. We want to try and give that autonomy to each person as if they were the owner, right? Like if you need a day off, let's take a day take off. A day off. If, yeah. If you need to, you know, make the money you need to make in the position that you're in, then, uh, and then then the benefits, you know. So, uh, a few years ago, we didn't have retirement, so we've been able to add retirement and three percent matching. You know, that's amazing. That's great. Yeah, and so, and and probably the last three years, I think each year we've been able to bump up the pay scale each year, because we're we're making those changes. Uh, to our price list. So, and yes, it, it is a battle when you're dealing with adjusters. They don't like seeing a different price list. They don't like seeing uh, the way that we scope things. In fact, many restorers listening to this podcast, it'll, this will resonate with them. You're the only one that charges for this, which I think is funny because every class I say that, I'm like, do you ever hear that so you're the only the- one that charges for this? And it's like an, a, it's, it's a tactic that the adjusters use, and it's sure. like everybody's heard it. So if everybody's heard it, so I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> so a little bit silly on their part. So you mentioned a little bit with RIA, which is the Restoration Industry Association. Um, what, so obviously there's, there's been a kind of a, a pricing battle or – getting paid for the work that, that you're doing as a restoration contractor. And it's important that you want to get, you guys need to get paid what you're, what you should or what you, what you should be allowed for the work that you're doing, because then that helps you run a successful company and get, you know, those resources back into the, the people's hands that are in, that are doing the work, you yes. know, your, your employees, your team members. Absolutely. Um, so, so obviously that's important. And there's guys like you uh, that are, that are trying to help contractors, figure those price, that priceless out or figure out what they're missing out of their estimates so that they can get that 15 or 20% that they're leaving on the table, which is, that's huge, huge money. Yeah. I mean, one job, but now look at it over the year and it's net, it's like we just said, it's net profit dollars that you're leaving on the table. So it's, I've, it's huge money. So I've done a lot of classes just here in Washington because I want, I want everybody just in my, in my local state to be able to know this. And I've got a, a competitor that's about, I'm not in his market, but uh, we've actually done some work with each other. But down in Walla Walla, he came to the class. Another great name. Yeah, Walla Walla. <laughs> <laughs> so great. if you've ever had sweet onions, you've probably heard of Walla Walla because that's where a lot of your sweet onions come out of, I Walla Walla Sweets. So uh, anyways, so there's a company down there, and he came to my class up in Spokane, and uh, he just, I mean, I love this guy. He just really took a lot of the stuff that I had and implemented it. And we've kept in contact. And he says, Ben, uh, the year before I took the class, this is where I was at. I was, I was doing about a 10% net. And after taking your class, I, I just, you know, we did a little bit more in revenue, but we were essentially able to double our net so we're at 20% net. 
And I can tell you right now, 20% net in this industry is really, really good. And so he was he was excited about it, and I I was so well, look, happy those are to life hear changing that. numbers. Yeah, for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean a lot of people in that organization. Yeah, oh, actually, cool. his son was was thinking about going to the police department and doing stuff like that, but he stayed. Right? I mean, they were able to be successful enough. He was able yeah. to give him a raise. You know, it changes, it changes lives things. when when you're able to be able to get the profit. I, I tell a lot of people that come to the class, you ever you ever watch the uh, TV show Shark Tank? If we were to go into that with the numbers that we have as restoration companies, they would laugh us out of the room. Yep. And so I've seen enough of the show. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. I, I like watching it because I like doing some evaluation of, of what a business might uh, go for I say a, what they consider a successful business, and yep. you get to see those numbers. I, I I like watching the show for the same reason. Yeah, and if you're going to put your money into any investment, and if you hear that you're only going to get a five to ten percent return, it's not worth it. No way, Mm-mm. absolutely not. So, I mean, even twenty percent is kind of on that show. Uh, is yeah. Yeah, they, they don't even like to entertain that. No, they don't like that. No, they want to see margins, gross margins of at least 70%, 80%, which gets me back to mitigation, actually. So mitigation, this entire industry thinks that they're making 60, 70, whatever percent. Here's the problem with that. If you look at the job costs for those jobs, the company already owns the equipment that they're charging for. Okay. And then the materials that they're charging for, they did not go to the store to buy it before they went to the job. They already have it in stock. So they've paid for it probably a month or two ahead of time, and it's in stock here at the office, right? Sure. So the equipment and the material is usually not a job cost to the job. It's already on the overhead side of your income statement. The only thing that's being job costed to those jobs, and, and before I move on, it, that's not to say there's not a cost for the material and the equipment, but that cost is somewhere else. It's in the overhead. Right. So, but the only cost that's being directly job costed to the job is the labor. So if you take away the line items for the equipment and the material, which is, I've reviewed enough estimates and looked at this, uh, in a lot of cases, it's about 50%. Of the job. Okay. So if you take 50% away and now you look at your numbers, you might only be making 30%. Because the cost for, I mean, you look at any normal construction company, they don't need a big building. Why do restoration companies need a big building? They got a buttload of air movers and dehues and heaters and, you know, extractors and whatever else that they've got to house. And during the wintertime, you know, if you're living in the northern uh, areas, you've got to keep them warm. Yep. Right? So you have to have a lot of real estate that you're paying for. Oh, by the way, who's paying for all the insurance on all those things? And do any of them get lost? Do any of them get broken? Do you have an inventory system with a software that you're paying monthly for to GPS the, you know, where those are? Yeah. And then the maintenance and everything. So there's cost upon cost for those things, but they're not being directly job costed. So when we say 60, 70, 80%, that's, that's completely inaccurate. We are yeah. not making those kind of margins. Tell me what your bottom line is. What's the net profit? And when I continue to hear something like 10%, and it's great if you're 15, but we're not really hearing the 20 to 30% nets. Like that is so rare in this industry then I just don't want to hear your 60%, 70%. And by the way, please stop boasting that because it's what's happening accurate. is the carriers, the insurance carriers. That's the numbers they remember. Yeah, they're starting to ask us for more off. They're trying to beat us up on the mitigation side. And if you're on a program, they're asking for a larger percent, like, okay, 4 to 5% for a, a repairs job. But when it comes to mitigation, we're going to ask for 6 to 10 right? So they, they know that we're boasting that. They think we're making so much money on that, and we're not. Right. Because the bottom line shows that 
It's just not there. So that's another thing that we go over in the class. So really just understanding where your numbers are and how they fall into the job to do a, a real job cost analysis of, of what the profit is on the job and putting the numbers where, where they need to go. And you can't really job. blame the estimators because a lot of the owners in the industry are not educating their estimators with the numbers of the company. I would, yeah, I was going to say, I would have to imagine that there's numbers the owner knows that the estimators don't know. Yeah, I was in this class I just had Thursday, Friday. I had a few of the, the people in the class say, oh my goodness, that, that makes so much more sense. When I heard my boss trying to get 60 or 50, 60, 70% on a job, I was like, man, they're making a lot of money. But when you look at all the overhead so to the much, company, it's yeah. like, well, that's why you have to make the gross profit margin of those percentages on the company because you still have to pay for the, the people answering the phones. You got to pay for the phone. You got to pay for the electric, electricity. You got to pay for the lease on the building. You know, the list yeah, goes on and goes, on. Yes. So, but what the RAA is doing about that is. Uh, yeah, and that's where I want to go next is, is so the, yeah. where, where do you fall in with the RIA and what is the RIA doing to kind of to help contractors in this situation? So I'm actually the chair of the pricing subcommittee for the AGA. The, uh, uh, I'm sorry, now I'm blanking the name. There's a lot of acronyms. Yeah, there is a lot of acronyms. JRCC on the GMS podcast <laughs> talking about the RIA who's running the AGA. Yep. So it's the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee. Okay. So we're, we're on the pricing subcommittee. And uh, one of the things that all the committees are working on right now is, is trying to help uh, Mark, our president, uh, come up with questions and things that we need to be asking uh, Mike Fulton, the Exactware president, so that we can get the ball rolling so they understand the things that we need as the contractors, as their customers. This is what you can help us with. And we want some clarification on things. Like they have in their license agreement that uh, you're not allowed to prohibit or preclude deviations from the price data. So that means an insurance company or somebody can't tell you you can't change the prices. You should be able to change the prices. That's right in the license agreement. Okay. So, but that's happening daily. In fact, anybody that's on a program, it, right in the contract, they say you cannot change the prices. So that should be a violation. A okay, yeah. Right? Yeah, no, it's so obvious. So we're trying to get uh, clarification on those things. Um, the other, uh, they just had one on uh, Thursday, and I wasn't able to attend that because I was, I was doing a class, unfortunately. I already had that scheduled. But uh, any RIA member is going to be, if they missed it, they're going to be able to go on the website and log in to their member login, and they'll have access to the recording of any of these if they if they missed any of these industry briefings. So there's been three so far. Okay. That Mark has Mark Springer has had with the president of of the R or Exact or Mike Fulton, and uh, and really finding out some things that have been helpful to the contractor. So, um, and another thing that we're working on is the pricing subcommittee and the other committees. There's a committee for TPAs and a committee for TPCs, uh, third-party consultants, and uh, just a whole slew of committees. We're trying to come out with position papers, published position papers from an association that will help the contractor in, in their negotiation or speaking to uh, the carriers or TPAs on different subjects uh, in regards to scope or okay. uh, business practices that contractors should be allowed to do. So it, it's going to be big. It's going to be very helpful to the RA members. Now, how, how long do you, do you see this, I guess, this, this kind of committee working until we see some, some results or are we seeing some results already? Oh, yeah. There's absolutely been results. In fact, uh, since, since the AGA has formed, 
Uh, Which win was that? Uh, last Roughly. year. Okay. Yep. Since they formed, we have been able to get Exactware to provide a, a, an additional form of feedback. In fact, they're supposed to be sending it out quarterly. Uh, and what it is, it's basically like a spreadsheet where you can give the, all the labor rates that you that you service or provide and send that back in an email. Because back in the day, they used to have faxes. They would send you a fax, hey, can you fill this out and send it back? Okay. And so I was, I was part of a group. It was uh, myself and I believe Josh Hobbs and Russ Palmer and Mark Springer. Uh, we were at the Exactware conference and we sat down with Greg Pine, the vice president of, of pricing, and uh, we said, hey, you know, you used to do this. Can, can we get another form of feedback that's a little bit easier for contractors? And, and we're actually still working with them to, to even simplify that more because contractors kind of got confused. They were like, man, I have to fill out this whole thing. Well, no, you don't have to fill out this whole thing. If you just do mitigation, just fill out the mitigation. Sure, part, just drop know. in the numbers that, that are so relevant to you. It, it, you know, I think we should have been involved a little bit more on uh, how that was set up. But, you know, Exactware was just kind of doing it on their own. But they did agree to do something for for us, and they did. And it's through email of, you know, a like normal. Fax. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nobody uses fax anymore. So Interesting, like, side fact. I've never faxed anything. Never? I never have. Oh my goodness. I I don't know I don't know how I, I missed I, I somehow maneuvered through life and missed the facts, but yeah, I think I was actually in the construction field during faxing and then by the time I got into my business it was all email. Oh so I have I, to tell I you just you, missed it. You lucked out. No, when <laughs> when I so when I started as an estimator with JRCC, that's how we sent stuff to the adjusters. We would okay, fax, fax it, to it to them, them. right? Uh, email was just kind of becoming a thing at that point, but a lot of a lot of these guys were still doing faxes, and so oh, that was that was the worst. And then then you could do like digital faxes because people were doing the scanners, right? You could yes, scan yeah, a digital copy. That, yep. So that that was a little bit better, but yeah, email's certainly been the way to go. Makes it makes life so much easier. Yeah, you can send a lot of information. Well, and there's and there's so many other other platforms, especially now with the with the coronavirus. A lot of people have been forced, in, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, where companies have basically been forced into this like digital world of of figuring out conference calls and Zoom meetings, and you know a lot of people who weren't, and I'll even say me included, you know, it's like I knew some of these things existed, but I didn't use them very frequently. Now yeah. we're we're all using them yeah. frequently, and, and and honestly, they're they're helping a lot. Yeah. A lot of information can get moved from one person to another without having a face to face or a physical paper anymore. Yeah, which is cool. Very cool. No, I agree. No, there's there's certainly been some other uh, successes for the RAA uh, actually throughout this COVID nineteen. Uh, so last year, or I'm sorry, two years ago, I believe the RAA. Uh, has uh, a formal agreement now with the IICRC to work together. Okay. And so there's definitely been some uh, headway on education. In fact, uh, I was I was able to help author a new uh, a fire uh, designation. Uh, so that's something that I believe we're doing in tandem with the IICRC, and then. You know, the IICRC and the RAA are coming up with new ways of doing the education uh, remotely. Right. Yep. yep. Um, and then pretty, I mean, it, it was unprecedented in my mind that the RAA and the IICRC, IICRC and a couple other associations actually came together on basically like a protocol for COVID-19 and how to take care of things. And so... That's amazing for our industry, like having that kind of direction as to how we should be performing things and, and being the professional about this type of a situation. And 
and it's pretty fluid. I mean, there is all sorts of information that we're getting. It's like it's changing daily, even still. And so they're actually on their third edition of this uh, paper. So as things are changing, they're they're changing it with it to make sure yep. that we have the most up-to-date information in there. So I think many people that's across the industry thing. love it. Yeah, that's a great thing. And I know uh, Rachel Adams was on a couple of weeks ago, and she was talking about yeah. that, that same thing, about the those coronavirus. And we put a link in uh, in the show notes and made a post about it. But, yeah, that's it's amazing to have these groups coming together and supplying so much great information yeah. to the contractor where, you know, I think in, in, especially in a digital age where you can get misinformation so easily yeah. that, that these resources exist for, for guys like you and, and other contractors to go, Hey, this is the protocol. This is how it should be done. And yeah. it's, it's right there for them. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, some of the other successes we've had, we've been able to have some talks open up with, uh, large third-party consultants in our industry, like with, uh, uh, I believe, JS Held and, uh, you know, uh, some of these other companies that, you know, we're, we're having as contractors a rough time making sure that uh, both sides are on the same page in, in handling very large projects. Uh, certainly the dialogue with Exactware, I mean, that has been never before have we been able to have the kind of dialogue that we're having now. I mean, within a, a month, month and a half, we've been able to have uh, the president of Exactware uh, in these industry briefings and be able to ask him some tough questions, right? Uh, and, of course, they have to play Switzerland a little bit because they have customers that are contractors and customers that are carriers. Sure, they have customers on both sides of it. Yep. So they're not going to play favorites on one side or the other but they they do have to make some things clear and that's what we're asking them to do and i i think mark uh has been doing an amazing job uh along with katie smith and uh, uh ed cross ed cross has been able to make a lot of headway with different people in the industry and, and getting support and um and i think you know just the contributions to the to the aga and and what they're doing has been tremendous. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, COVID-19 happened and we weren't able to hold the conference. Uh, right. You know, we're trying to get more financial support for these types of things that are coming out. Um, and, and those are, you know, the conference is usually a, a, a time where that happens. So, um, but then you're going to be seeing a lot of position papers starting to come out. Um, this year, you're going to see that. And, and once people get their hands on those, it, it's going to be like, man, it's like somebody understands me, somebody gets me, and this is what I'm dealing with every day. And this, these papers are going to help support my position on what I need to be doing to help my company survive. Because the way yeah. things are going right now, it's not going to be the same as it was five years ago. In, in five years, if we keep going the way we're going, uh, a lot of companies are going to go out of business, you know, and that, and I'm not saying that out of fear. I just, you're saying if we, we continue a path things. without changing, a lot of people are going to go out of business. And that's where you guys are stepping in, RIA stepping in um, and creating that change. Yeah. I've, I myself have had too many friends that uh, really got on program work and, and was doing probably too much on those, but you know, that, that was helping them get the work that they felt they needed, but they got in so into it that the the guidelines and the regulations and, and everything that they were doing to prevent them from making the margins that they needed, it forced them to go out of business. And I, I, I feel terrible for these for these people that have gone that route. I mean, it's just not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I love this conversation, everything that we're that we're talking about so far. Um, you know, and I want to I want to really thank you. And I know there's a lot of people that that appreciate the work that you're that you're doing, even just with the class, but then working with RIA. And and I know that you're one of those people. And and 
you know, from the first time I met you, uh, and I listened to one of your one of your talks about Xactimate and pricing, but you're definitely somebody that cares about the industry, cares about the contractor, and and wants you know, and kind of sees how they've been wronged and how they're being wronged right now, and and ways that you're trying to to help fix that and help them out. And, and again, you're just one of the, you're one of those guys that that are ready to help, and and it comes through and it shows and and you know, the industry, you're a big, you're a big, uh, you're very needed. You're, you're appreciated in this industry. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you with what I've been through and with what this industry has given to me, I want to help. There's many, many people out there that helped me get through some pretty tough stuff and in, uh, in keeping JRCC alive. And I had to open up and accept that help that all I want to do is just see if I can give back because, I, I mean, it's probably more than I can repay. So anything I can do to help, that's what I want to do. That's awesome. That is awesome. I do want to, before we wrap up, talk about snowmobiling. <laughs> yes. Because I think it's even on your Facebook, your, your photo is a snowmobile. Uh, during the winter, you're posting a lot of pictures about snowmobiling. When you found out I was moving out here, you were like, oh, that's awesome. We'll go snowmobiling. So snowmobiling and, and then I've, I've coming from Indiana where things are very, very flat. Yeah. And now coming to Washington where the terrain is unbelievable. It's, and it's, I think I, I may have talked about it before. As you drive across the state, it feels like you're in five different states. Yes. Just how the terrain and how the forest, and then it goes to no trees and then it's desert but then it's mountains and it's rolling hills and it's grassy and it changes so much what are we, okay now i'm now i'm just turning i'm now i'm rambling but i'm turning it back over to you i know you love snowmobiling i want i, I guess i want to start why do you love it you know when i was a kid uh we had this major snowstorm that came through washington there had to be uh, five, six feet of snow, and then it drifted, and we were snowed in. Uh, so where we're sitting now at, in here in my office, just up the road uh, where my parents lived, uh, we were snowed in. Okay. We could not get out. And so my dad had a buddy that had snowmobiles, and he asked if he could borrow one. And uh, that's how we were able to get to the store, get some groceries, come back, you know. But as kids, that was during our, our winter break, and – we, we couldn't go anywhere. And so uh, that's how it was for probably two, three weeks. Oh, wow. We were snowed in. And uh, anyway, so my dad decided I am going to get some snowmobiles, and he got a couple. And we've actually got sand dunes out at the south end of, of Moses Lake. And they took them out there. And my dad had such a blast. He's like, this this is it. This is what we got to do. And so <laughs> this buddy of his has a cabin up above Ellensburg. And uh, anyways, so every year we would go snowmobiling up there. And I just fell in love with it. You know, I've done motorbikes. I've done uh, four-wheeling. I've, I've done all this stuff. And I swear I have broke my butt bone every single time I've done any one of these sports but snowmobiling everybody thinks it's really dangerous and it can be but if I fall off of a snowmobile or something like like I'm falling into powder you're falling into snow yeah yeah. my wife was just talking to me the other night how yeah when I went with you I didn't get hurt like she fell off and actually the snowmobile rolled over her, but she was fine right because you're in you're You're in in fluffy snow and Anyways, it and going up there, if you've seen any of the say, pictures, if, it's heaven. Well, I, I, I do want to talk about those pictures, but I do want to, I want to jump back real quick that we just said the snowmobile rolled over your wife, but it was fine. But it was fine. It was fine. <laughs> no big deal. It was, it was not that big a deal. No, uh, I've, I've had that happen to me a few times as well, but... Uh, no, I, I was probably doing a little too much with her. I was taking her up this hill, having her hill climb a little bit. Okay. Anyway, she didn't have her weight shifted the right way, and so it started to turn on her, and she rolled down the hill a little bit. But uh, 
anyway, yeah, she was completely she was fine. fine. No, I mean, you're scared in the moment, yeah. right? Uh, and those types of things can turn into bad things. But really, the biggest danger is just going too fast and you don't know where you're going and you hit a stupid tree, right? Like, that's the story you usually hear. Or uh, some guy's jumping from one side of the drift and another guy. I, I actually saw a really bad accident that way. It was a father and son, and they ran into each other midair. Oh, no. But yeah. uh, other than that, you know, there's it's not like it's less dangerous. Just for me, I'm able to take my family up there, and it's it's spiritual, right? I get up on the top of that mountain. And I can see all of God's beauty, right? And yeah. I'm looking down, and we're above the clouds. I was like, what is the elevation at? Is there a, is there a certain mountain you're climbing, and what, what's the elevation? Yeah, so it's actually not even that tall. Uh, it's about 5,000 feet, approximately. It gets a little bit taller. You get about 6,000 feet where I ride. And there's certainly taller elevations here in Washington, but... Uh, that's that's right around the area that I'm at. Okay. Yeah, no, it is. It is The pictures that I've seen, it is amazing. It yeah. is beautiful. So I'm looking forward to to riding some snowmobiles this winter with you. Yeah. That's going to be fun. Now, do you do you leave from here in Moses Lake, or do you, trail, you trailer them and take them? I, I guess I just don't know how far away everything is. Yeah, so we, we have to drive about an hour and a half to get up to the mountain where we like to go. Okay. Uh, but there's so many different places that you can go. It's just, you know, ever since I was a kid, we'd go up above Ellensburg. That's yeah. really my favorite spot. Um, it's it's kind of beginner, intermediate area. But, you know, I'm usually taking friends that have never gone before. Okay. Like you, right? I've, uh, rode, I've rode in Michigan a little bit. But, okay. But, yeah, not, not but like not what in the talking mountain, about. No, right? No. So... Uh, yeah, and I like to I like to show my friends how to do a little bit of hill climbing, how to shift your weight and stuff like that, so that you know you, you can keep climbing up. Because if you don't shift your weight weight correctly, there's you're gonna have yeah. There's definitely you know, a way to ride a snowmobile. Had, that you're gonna roll on yourself, so <laughs> you don't want that. But uh, no, and I really like boondocking through the trees, and what that means is you're getting off trail, you're you're blazing your own trail basically through the trees and. And just having a lot of fun. And I don't feel comfortable going to a lot of places because I don't know where I'm at. There in Ellensburg, I know exactly where I'm at all the time. And so, you know, it's a it's a comfort thing. I, you know, I feel Say safe. How many years have you been going there? there? Oh, gosh. Um, 25 years at least. Yeah. It's like it's every year for you? Yeah, every year. Yeah. That's really cool. No, that's my thing. I just, I absolutely love it. And I love taking my family up there. And I love that my kids love doing it. So, Well, that's awesome. We just had a great conversation. And this has been so much fun. So I'm actually on my way back from a hunting trip in Idaho. Yeah. And I send you a message. I'm like, Ben, I'm coming through town. Do you want to jump on a podcast and kind of stay the night at your house? And you were like, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Heck, Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely wanted to do that. No, ever since I met you down in down in Oregon, I mean, your story I, I really connected with, and uh, I really appreciate what you do and the product that you have. I mean, we, we definitely have the, the G units, and just yeah. who you are as a person and how you've helped us. Anytime I, I have an issue, you, you're there and uh, very responsive. Jarrett, you're just one of the guys in the industry that helps make us better. Well, I, I really appreciate that, and that you know, and that means a lot too. When I get to when I get to talk to you know contractors and and things, so I guess so much of my day kind of gets wrapped up in administrative or marketing or just you know being in the office and not. It's it's nice to hear things like that because it's like now we remember why we're doing it, and yeah. uh, and you know that was why I got into this industry is because I wanted to I wanted to help guys like you get the job done a little faster, a little better, a little easier and, and provide that power box to do that. So very cool. Is there anything you want to talk about or say kind of closing comments, whatever, while we wrap up, is there anything that you want to, you want to touch on that we haven't got to talk about yet? You know, I, I, my mind just keeps going back to that first time we met. I'm just, I'm glad I was friends with Chris Laney. 
Yeah, you know? Chris, yeah. And I'm I'm glad that we were able to get introduced. Another and, snowmobiler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, he's he's such an amazing guy, and I really appreciate him. And he's good friends with you. And he got me to go to Bend. That's, yeah, that's why I was in Oregon was because Chris Laney. Well, and and since Chris liked, yeah, I'm like, well, then Jarrett's got to be an <laughs> awesome guy. So, no, I I think I've probably said enough, man. I talk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go ahead and shut this down. So we're broadcasting right here out of the JRCC Moses Lake Studios. Man, what a what a great time! What a good time having you on the podcast. And and uh, now we're going to turn this off and head back to the house. And I'm sure we'll. Are you going to do the late night DJ voice? You have you had that voice. I don't oh, yeah. have it. So this is Ben, and this is the late night DJ voice coming at you. We're going to sign off. <laughs> I was just, yeah, this is like the extension. This is like uh, what going into the GMS night night time. That's right. No, we're not going to we're not going to do that. We're not going to go there. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up now. Ben, thank you. Thank you so much for, for one, just being on the podcast, but two, letting me just crash at your house tonight and on my way back home. So, Love having you. Yeah. All right, that does it for us. We are wrapping up. We are done. Have a good day, everybody.